if you're going to give someone the best advice, new year, new role in the parish, whether you got promoted, how would you help people in order to radically focus and be successful at evangelization in a parish setting? So let's roll. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by the legend himself, Dave, the taxman cometh Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I'm okay. That's fitting. For yeah. me. I, I still haven't received my return, so that's that's makes me angry. Oh, wow. Uh, you, you, uh, why, I haven't you filed yours? my taxes. Oh. I haven't filed my taxes since 2018. What are you talking about? What? But yeah, the, no, I have problems. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, I have tax problems too, but uh, hopefully they're getting taken care of now. But uh, the nice. uh, that to to someone who leans as closely to libertarianism as I do, that's mm-hmm. the worst name mm-hmm. you could give me. I know. That's why I gave it to you. <laughs> I was driving in and I was like, what would offend David in a playful way? <laughs> the, the, so I have a, a friend who is a, a f- very famous catholic writer actually he's just a facebook friend we've never met in person but you know it's it's a it's a good friendship on online and um he's he's very politically liberal and um Mm -hmm. he so anyways he's been ripping into all this stuff about like the election fraud and everything like that and he's like it's just not possible that you know thousands of people are are involved in a conspiracy theory like you know all this kind of things and and i literally was like it's not possible that there isn't a conspiracy, like tens of thousands, there's millions of people, you know, like that's all I could think was half the like, country is in on it. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm suspecting my neighbors. I'm suspecting. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh man, that is funny. Yeah. It's, it's so funny, like dealing with uh, navigating all the political stuff right now because everything is a landmine. Oh, and I can't tell you how many emails I get Facebook. I'm not even on Facebook. I still have an account, but I'm never never on it and i just went on the other day just to um check some it was my son's birthday so you know facebook's like remember this day right, yeah, two right, years yeah, ago yeah. and i love that's like my favorite fi- uh feature of facebook but the the amount of emails i got in the month of october to the beginning of november demanding we give homilies like this guy <laughs> and this guy uh and it was so funny because they were the opposite Right. Like, right. so I got a lot of right. like the Father Meeks and right. um, was it Father James Altman or whatever yeah. Yeah. that made the rounds. But I got tons of liberal ones too. Like, yeah. oh man. And it's like, well, everywhere I go is a landmine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, I, yeah. I got several emails from well meaning friends at Franciscan that we graduated with saying, why are you not? weighing in on this and why are you not saying anything like this so (laughs) because you people are ugly just kidding (laughs) so this is very difficult for us to um, navigate evangelistically because i know people who have walked away from christianity um, and wouldn't even give it a chance uh, because of the evangelical uh, hardcore double down in 2016 the trump right all those evangelical leaders like jerry falwell jr at at liberty university like all the not stuff anymore, that kind of, yeah, but all the stuff that kind of went around that, um, people just denied the faith because in America, conservatism has always kind of wrapped itself in the mantle of either being religious 
or at least respecting religion if they're atheists. Whereas the liberal side of things, uh, or, or at least the far left progressive side, is actively anti-religious in the sense of dismantling traditional morality, dismantling right. Right. Um, traditional families and all that stuff. And so there's so much uh, that's kind of bound up with it that even if you're apolitical, you might be anti, you won't even give the gospel a hearing because of things like Trump and the Republican Party and this and that. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. I've just, I just found it super, super difficult this year more than any other year to evangelize. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny. You know, the, uh, there was like that when we were little, it was like, remember the phrase, like it's impolite to discuss politics. Yeah. Politics and, and religion. And yeah. then it became like, it was impolite not to discuss it, you know? <laughs> and then, yeah. And now this year I'm thinking like, oh man, there was so much wisdom in that whole, you know, not discussing politics and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we have an interesting uh, suggestion for a topic. Someone reached out to you and said, I'm starting a new role as a DRE here in, we'll just say January. And we started thinking, me and you at length discussed this topic for hours and hours. If you're going to give someone the best advice, new year, let's say you're going to start a job, new year, January 1st, new role in the parish, whether you got promoted or you're um, moving to a new parish, like maybe, maybe, I don't know, you, you want to come work at St. Anthony of Padua as my youth minister. Uh, maybe you want to do that. Maybe, maybe come baby birds, come to Papa Gomer. Uh, how would you help people new year, new role? What are like maybe the top 10 things you would get people going on in order to radically focus, uh, and be successful at evangelization in a parish setting? Yeah. So this could be anything. It could be like, you know, books to read, uh, things to add into your schedule, all that kind of stuff. So, so let's roll Gomer. I mean, I feel like we're going to, we're, I think, I think looking back now at, you know, 12 years of church work, we can come up with a pretty good list here. So uh, so I'll, I'll just jump out with number one, and everyone knows what I'm going to say. The first thing is read Soul of the Apostolate every year, every single year. Yeah. Read it over and over and over again, right? I mean, that's just got to be part of your schedule. It has to be, and it has to be part of your life. Yeah. The the encounter with Soul of the Apostolate is something that you can never leave because he's so blunt, especially in the first opening chapters. Like he, he's so blunt and he's so powerful um, in what he's saying, and he makes his case so clearly. And then he helps you live that life. And so it is as theoretical as it is practical, and vice versa. So definitely, uh, the Soul of the Apostolate is is the number two book I would start with. Dave, you know what the number one book is though? The Bible. You failure. It's the Bible. It's the Bible, Dave. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, that that's always bracketed, but. <laughs> I, I, that's bracketed as the perpetual number one, but I really do believe this. And the more I do it, the more convinced I am. So you do like, you read a gospel in a day. Do you still do that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you do that every day? No, or no, no, no. Most days No, of the I can't, week? Okay. no, I can't do it every day. I do it once or twice a week. Okay. No. So I am, I, I, so my biggest problem is consistency in my own prayer life. So there was a time where I was waking up at 5 or 5.30. I would get in a full 30 minutes to an hour of prayer. And then it would like, all of a sudden, the kids start waking up early. And the dog, I now know. we have a dog, and it needs to go out, and it just falls apart. So uh, one of my big things is simplifying my prayer life so that I can build the consistency. Because I don't want to be that guy that makes elaborate promises to the Lord and doesn't fall through. So, um, uh, you know, about six months ago, I started reading two chapters a day every day. 
of the Gospels. And I can't tell you, even when I fall away from it and come back, two chapters is a magical number. Oh, yeah. Because it gives you the wider context without getting you lost in the details. Sure. Like, and so just, just this morning, it kind of renewed my love for it. I read Luke 1 and 2. And it starts with, you know, the the Messiah, you know, like the prophecies of the Messiah, John the Baptist, Zechariah, Elizabeth, all that stuff. And it ends with the um, finding of our Lord in the temple, you know. Right. And so it's like here is this perfect little two chapter snippet that gives you the entire early life of Christ. And it was perfect for Advent meditation. So I, I the Letzio Continua model of reading Pacing yourself, to me, two chapters a day seems to be ideal, but, and just reading through the gospels and when you're done, circle back and do it all over again and don't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Keep reading those gospels. Yeah. And I mean, this brings me to my next point. And I think it, it dovetails perfectly with what Gomer said is you got to keep, you have to keep learning. Like that's a big deal. Right. And so this idea of reading the gospels, uh, like constantly, not only is it going to be spiritually beneficial, but it's going to like deeply enhance your ability to do your job. And so I would work into your schedule time every single day for uh, like intellectual study. I would. Um, uh, And there's a few different reasons. The first is this. A lot of people, I know it's strange, but the Christian community can be very – like they can kind of look at you like, who's this kid? He's got to prove himself to me. You know, who who is this? Like this new DRE or something like that. And it's good yeah. for you to be able to put something behind, you know, your position. And so you want to continually learn. Um, and so what I would do is I would add into a day, um, and I would even talk to your boss about this, at least an hour of like intellectual development. Um, mm-hmm. I, I literally at my old parish had two hours a day where like my door was closed, my phone was off, everything was turned off completely and no one was allowed to like bother me. And I would literally, (laughs) I would hear my like pastor walk down the hall and he would like see my door and he'd be like, oh, this is deep time. And then he'd like walk back. Uh, But it really, it made a big difference. Uh, And I would say actually it was probably one of the most integral things as to success at the parish for me. Yeah, I uh, I could not understate that enough. If you need help on doing that, it's a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport, and it's so powerful. What I have to do is I have to find an empty classroom and hide in it. Right. Because How do you do it? my right. like even when I come uh, an hour and a half to two hours early to work, the people who come that early are like, I need to talk to someone. Can I talk to you? And I'm yeah. like, I guess. <laughs> uh, but carving out time for deep work enables you to do long-term planning. It enables you to not just be reactive, but proactive in it and all the other businessy terms, but it also enables you to encounter the pain points of today. And I can't tell you like how much. So for my, my deep work in September was all atheist questions, right? Yeah. So, and it, it ended up becoming my curriculum for our high school students during the fall. You can go to faith and reason, dot thinkific.com uh after like maybe december 5th and it'll be on there if you want to if you want to check that out but i had to spend all this time creating this online curriculum because we didn't know if we'd be able to meet and i'm like okay every week i threw myself five six books into a different topic and i consumed them and now it's on transgenderism because we have more and more parents who are like i need help i need resources i need guides and if you're not carving out your time to do this, you are not 
uh, becoming pastorally equipped to help your people. Like yeah. you have to. The intellectual life cannot be ignored. All right. Yeah. All right. Do you have any? Do you have any books like that on that to- on those kind of topics? Yeah. Um, maybe that you that are bothering you or that you're seeing more common that you want to speak into. Uh, oh. Maybe do some deep work around. Oh, I. See. I mean, I'll recommend when Harry when Harry uh, became Sally um, on transgenderism. Why gender matters by Leonard Sachs. Um, those are two books, and then Love Thy Body. These are all by non-Catholics, but they are very potent and powerful in responding to a lot of the issues of our day. And the um, Love Thy Body book comes as close to the theology of the body as possible in the uh, Protestant world. Yeah. No, I I, I like all those books. I, I haven't read Love Thy Body, but um, I I love all those books. And then I, you know, I, I'm a big uh, fan of Father John Harvey, like in, you know the the founder of Courage. So anything that he wrote uh, is he he had, he had an insight. He had an insight. Okay, well, good deal. All right, now what is the next category of things you want to tackle? Well, I would say let's talk about relationships in the parish. Like what okay. what relationships do you need right off the bat to start pursuing? And I I'm gonna say something. It'll sound a little bit fake, but it's absolutely true. I'm, I'm, I want you to get off on the right foot with the secretaries at your parish. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of practical reasons for this. You know, um, first of all, you know, especially if you're young and you're starting a new job, right? Um, you're coming into a parish, uh, oftentimes looked at a little bit cockeyed, right? Like, uh, you know, who, who does this kid think he is or something like that? You want to have a really good relationship with the secretaries. They know they, they have their finger on the pulse of the parish very often. And you want to make sure that, you know, you can go to them. They're a wealth of information. They really are because they they hear from people that you'll never hear from. Right. There are people who will never, ever come to you uh, for advice. So build a really good relationship with the secretaries at your parish um, because it, it, it'll it'll turn out in the end to be good for you. So, yeah. And, and this comes from my experience at um, a parish that had a that cycled through a bunch of pastors pretty quickly with a lot of issues. Oh, that's hard. Um, yeah. yeah. And there was a lot of division on the staff. Uh, they all hated each other. They all would just retreat into their offices. So along the terms of relationships, I would encourage you to maybe spend, especially your first first month, if you're in a leadership position or it's your first you know, job or wh- whatever it might be, if it's a new position, new role, go and meet the other people on staff and try to do it once a day. If that's a little bit too much or seems a little too forced, do it a few times a week. And just spend half an hour with each person. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Just be like, hey, because one of the things, one of the things I've noticed is like at a big parish, you have staffs that can very silo their jobs, you know, very much. And so what happens is like communications might not know, you know, the people that make the emails and the videos and all this stuff that we have, they might not know what you're doing over in faith formation or evangelization or adult ed. And having those conversations just enables the work to flow better. But you're looking for a seamless garment from your brain to their, you know, typing fingers or whatever. And having solid relationships just means that the tasks and mission of the church is going to flow that much easier. You're investing in the people around you so that they can be invested in the mission. So make sure you carve out time in your schedule, maybe at the tail end of your deep work. Uh, to spend it with other people, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Then, then I yeah, w- not in your department, outside of your department, right, right, all right. of them, right. Then, then I think uh, a good thing is once again going back to these secretaries, sit down and make a list. 
of like, you know, going, we're talking about employees, right? Now we're talking about stakeholders, people who, for instance, would be the head of the Knights of Columbus, people who would be uh, the head of the Ladies of Charity, all of those different groups in your parish, I would sit down with them. I would try to get a meeting with every single one of them and just, I'd have three questions. I would say maybe, uh, tell me a little bit about the parish. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit how the Ladies of Charity work with the parish. Just something like that, just to get them talking. The questions don't matter too much. Uh, I would sit down and and I would really try to listen to them, you know, deeply, and uh, and and build a relationship with them because it, it's going to help, especially particularly with marketing later on, right? With uh, trying yeah. to find catechists and trying to get people to come to talks and try all that kind of stuff. It's going to help a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and lastly, you're looking out at the broader community. Right. So you, you start with the staff, you know, you go out, out um, in the broader community. There are key relationships that you can start to form or at least be conscious of. And, um, you know, in terms of youth ministry, do you know the local principals? Do you know what stuff about them? Do you know the football coach? I live in Texas where the number one religion is football. So although that is starting to uh, go down a little bit because of all the concussions, a lot of uh, you have helicopter parents who are now afraid to have their kids in football because of all the concussions. But uh, it's such a, such a weird situation. I have one dad whose son has had three concussions and by the time he was in eighth grade. And he's like, you're never not playing football. And then his mom, who's like, you're out now. Right. So, um, <laughs> but funny. those parents, those parents, like if you're in youth ministry or you're working with uh, DREs, working with young people, or you just volunteer in those areas, those parents have access and know the pulse of the school. Oh, yeah whether oh, yeah. it's Catholic school, public school, whatever, um, get in touch with the schools so that you can build somewhat of a presence there. I used to go to uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes all the time. And so that the track coaches and stuff like that, they all knew me. And when I, and even cool. though I don't get sports ball, they all knew me and they loved it. And one guy, after I finished one of my talks, Guy said every single athlete needs to hear that because it was about you know run so as to win and all that good stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that's the broader community. You don't need to know the mayor, maybe, um, but you do need to know some of the people that that affect and influence your culture. Yeah, and actually, uh, one more with with regards to relationships. This is a weird thing that I've noticed that is happening now at parishes where it's probably not new, but it's certainly new to me that employees don't have any relationships with the clergy. I would not allow that to happen. I, I don't care what the clergy says. I would not allow that to happen. Like you, you need to try your best to get to know the clergy. And I I just know so many people who are miserable because they do not have the relationship that they need to have with their clergy. And it doesn't have to be necessarily good, but it definitely yeah. has to be there. And, and I, I that is very important because this shouldn't be a normal boss employee relationship. I mean, it mm-hmm. it should in the sense, but there should be a lot more to it uh, than yeah. this because that that's not all it is, right? Uh, so I would just rec- I would not allow that to happen. I would make sure that that you have some way of building a relationship with your pastor in some way, and and if he pushes and pushes and pushes, I, I don't know, you know, you have to really think about what you're doing there for sure. Like pushes you away, so. Yeah, what would you let me just ask you a follow up for I I can already hear the Catching Foxes listeners who listened to one of my rant episodes with the guys from Clerically Speaking. But um 
What would you say to pastors or not even pastors, maybe associate priests or whatever, where you are reaching out, but they're they're living that um, bachelor lifestyle more or less where there seems to be an element where they're like cutting responsibilities and because you can't be over them. Right. So like by cutting responsibility, meaning like they, they get to dictate their own schedule or right. they leave, you know, they get to, I'm not going to help out with that ministry. Like so much, whereas employees, if my volunteer leaders don't show up, I have to do it. Right. But it's not right, always right, true right. with clergy and clergy are doing so many things on the weekends with marriages and baptisms and all that stuff. I don't know. What, what, what do you see? What would, advice would you give to someone who's trying to build a relationship, but can't? Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, if they're if it's literally to the point where it's clear that they don't want that relationship, I don't know exactly what you do other than try to win them slowly over time. Uh, for me, it was, you know, I was always in the sacristy. I was always, you know, at, at you know, at lunch with them. I was always doing, you know, trying to slowly kind of build myself into their life. I, I never had an issue. I don't. I never worked for priests like that. Cause you, I mean, you pretty much gotta love me to hire me because I'm the worst employee ever. But, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, and the worst friend. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, uh, in, but in all honesty, I, I do get what you're saying. Um, that, you know, yeah, there is that kind of like, yeah, they shirk response, that movement of like towards more of like an independent lifestyle. And I, it would be certainly hard. But what I would just say is that, like, I guess I think long term. Right. There's two things that could happen here if you don't have a, a, a serious relationship with your pastor. I'm not saying good, but a real relationship with your pastor or with the clergy. Number one is this. They could trust you and let you do what you need to do. And when things happen, they have your back because they trust you. That That's OK. That's that's something you maybe want to consider long term as a viable option for you. But if you have the kind of uh, situation where the pastor doesn't want a relationship with you, doesn't really talk to you, doesn't get to know you, kind of pushes away from that, but then is ready to weigh in constantly on things, you you got a problem. And I would rethink things there. I would. Yeah. I certainly would. Yeah. Yeah. I think these are all very important. Now let's shift gears. So we have books, which always come first, then relationships. <laughs> uh, people second, people second. That's my motto. Um, books, relationships. What about maybe tasks or programs or schedules? Things that yeah. um, are more public facing that people can see and respond to. Where would you start with a new role, new year? Yeah. Well, I think I've said this before. I would I would right off the bat start some sort of spiritual or devotional outreach and some sort of intellectual outreach. And and the and the the only reason for this is almost not at even one percent to enrich the parish. It's more for you to start seeing people who are going to come to these kinds of things. Um mm. it, not it, and it's not to say that. The only good people in the parish are the ones who come to your events. That that's obviously not true, but you got to draw the line somewhere. You got to start seeing who uh, the people are that are interested in building their faith. In fact, a lot of times it's it's not the people who come to your events because it's sometimes those people they just got started in their journey. You know, they're not ready to maybe be a catechist or something. But you got to start to kind of look at who is going to be active in their faith. And that's one way to do it, you know, start, start doing that. So I'd say like maybe a weekly adoration thing if the, if your pastor's on board and maybe a weekly speaker series or talk series, you know, 
What okay. about you? What okay. would you what would you do? So my big thing is I everything that I do revolves around the sacraments right now. Okay. Not a single person has received a sacrament over the age of I think 7 in my church without being taught by me. It's since June, so that's kind of crazy. That's cool. Um yeah, yeah. It's a it's a title I'm proud of, but also exhausted by because I'm the only teacher. So uh now we're starting to get things going. But um the my love of the sacraments has like quintupled in the last six months because of this stuff. And I would say very you will always have contact with the broadest amount of people when it revolves around the sacraments right. in the life of the parish. Right. So what you have to do is figure out ways to communicate the life and teachings of the church. Um, the life of Christ and the teachings of the church through sacramental preparation. So my kind of first task would be sit down with one of the major sacramental prep programs, whether it's infant baptism, first communion or confession, RCIA, or whatever it might be, and say, how can we make this, one, add more community, two, add more prayer, and three, make it hardcore charismatic? How can I bring the cross and resurrection to the very center of what I'm doing uh, in these things, because that's where you're going to have almost a captive mandatory audience. Uh, when you're dealing with kids, you ask that question, not of the kids, of the parents. How can I evangelize the heck out of them? Right. What can I do for them? Um, and in the age of COVID, it's really, really difficult. So one of the things that we do with the Sophia Institute press books, which do such a good job of being Christocentric, is we're teaching the parents how to teach the kids. So we make these like 12 to 15 minute videos every stinking week, which is exhausting just to help the parents get over their fears of like, well, I don't know enough. It's like, it's okay. All you have to be is one chapter ahead. So, uh, but in doing that every single time I tie it always to the cross and resurrection of Jesus, marriage preparation, tie it all. Like when I teach life skills, the cross and resurrection is at the center. So right. that would be my, my big advice. Cause that's the, I feel like it's the lowest hanging fruit within any parish is sacramental preparation of some sort. Yeah. I think I think that's a that's a great idea. So just set out your plan right away. Is that what you're saying like for the practical like first step? Yeah, I mean like you can take you can take one of those things. If this especially if you're new, no one wants you to radically change everything. But like a, an average baptismal prep is like x amount of hours for parents and godparents to attend a to get their infant baptized. Okay, yeah. what are you doing in those hours? Are you explaining how baptism cleanses us in the blood of Jesus Christ? Is an, as St. Peter says, is an appeal to God for a clean conscience, not just a removal of dirt from the body, right? As St. Paul says, if you've been baptized, you were baptized into Christ's death, right? Do we understand these things? Do we communicate or do we just say matter, form, right. uh, celebrant, right. and recipient, and that and, and effects? Those are good, but only and insofar as it's tied to both salvation history and proposing the gospel for their own faith. Yeah. Okay. I, th I like that. That's that's great. That's a great. I, and I I wouldn't have thought of it. I'm gonna definitely steal it the next time I'm a new DRE. Um, <laughs> here, here, here's kind of a weird programmatic thing. There's gonna be something at your parish that when you get there, a bunch of people say, "Gee, it'd be nice if we could bring back this." Okay. Uh, for some parishes, it'll be vacation Bible school. For some parishes, it'll be uh, catechesis of the Good Shepherd. For some parishes, I, you never know. There's always going to be like some weird thing that like a bunch of people will come up and say, oh, I wish we could get this back. I would just, for political capital, I would go ahead and do that, right? As long as it's not bad, I would go yeah. ahead and bring back something like that. I can't, I can't tell you the 
the relationships I built at my parish by running uh, our vacation Bible school. And I, I love vacation Bible school. It was like my favorite week <laughs> of the year. I love it. You know, it was like, I, you know, it was just, a, it was a great thing, you know? And so it was so easy for me to add back in. Uh, for some people, it's going to be like, gosh, I wish we could bring this speaker in. You know, you just never know what it's going to be, mm-hmm. but it's a good idea to just build goodwill with people, you know, right away. And along those lines, I would say establish like some protocols or norms for yourself for hospitality, you know, um, if you have the money at the parish, which, you know, a lot of people don't, but if you do, then just establish norms and protocols for, uh, always having refreshments and things at the parish, you know, those kind of things. I love that. I love that. My parish took that very seriously a few years ago and built in, uh, coffee machines, Throughout at what? different like popular parts of the thing, yeah. I mean, like it, it's it's cranking out Folgers, but um, that's cool. They are though. built in. They are built in, always ready to go. Hot water, you know, beasts that you all you do is you put in a cup of coffee into a filter and slide it in, and now you got a carafe ready to rock and roll for wow. every at every major classroom area. Yeah. Uh, so it's been uh, it's been a boon, except in this time of COVID. Um, lastly, I want to say that um, a lot of Catholics don't know how to bridge the gap between liturgy and life. And so um, one of the areas, even for committed Catholics who have been Catholic for a long time, the liturgy is constantly seen through the lens of, um, oh, that was a good mass. I mean, it was a good homily and good music. Um, but we're not really formed within the traditions of the church. I don't just mean the Latin mass. I mean the whole, like why the mass is laid out as it is. We don't understand the tradition. So for instance, uh, our mutual friend, Father Dave, uh, Father David Hust, he was telling me that when they started doing all these live streaming, he had a fellow priest here in my diocese critique the way he did the mass to make sure it was perfectly in line with the Roman Missal. Wow. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Father David, who listens to every one of our shows and texts us immediately after, um, very humble guy. So he said, tell me everything I'm doing wrong. Within the first two minutes, the guy's sending him all this stuff. And he's like, for instance, when you kiss the altar, you're supposed to put both hands on the altar and then kiss it. And this is one of the things that I learned that radically altered. So Father David comes and celebrates mass when my priest got COVID. And he does everything deliberately. Uh, you know, he's kissing the altar with both hands on the altar, all that stuff. And when you tell people, like, you know, the priests are supposed to kiss the altar with both hands flat on the altar, it's like, oh my gosh, are oh, you come serious? On. You, yeah, that's religion, not Jesus. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, I hate that so much. <laughs> uh, but what what happens when you see someone do all the things correctly? Is th- this is not even like putting both hands flat is not an essential thing. It's not even a non-essential that props up. It's like a tertiary level of <laughs> of of things in the in the in the broader scheme of things. But when they align, it makes the mass like so engaging and engrossing and reverent that it became a game changer. I had over a hundred parishioners stop me and tell me that was the most reverent, beautiful mass I had ever been a part of. So my big thing for a lot of Catholics who have been there a long time is connecting the liturgical, like understanding the liturgy at a deeper level than liturgy of the word, liturgy of the Eucharist, let's receive them in the state of grace to go a little bit deeper into that and figure out ways to bridge it into life. 
understanding the liturgy, understanding the traditions behind the liturgy, but also understanding how to pray and stay connected in a daily prayer life with and through the liturgy. And that includes liturgy of the hours. That includes, you know, just reading the gospel ahead of time and kind of incorporating that in your in your life. I have found great success that when people do this, uh, and uh, some of the groups that I tap into are like our EMHCs, Extraordinary Ministers of Holy Communion, right. our sacristan training. I come up and do this huge presentation on salvation history in the Eucharist so that they can have that deeper like life and liturgy connection. So if you're looking for another area where you can bring the gospel, that's definitely um, another low-hanging fruit. That's uh, uh, I like it. I like what you're saying. Those are two things I would not have thought about, and I'm, I'm glad you're bringing them up. All right, coming up next, we're going to kick it out to an ad from our good friends over at Ascension Press. Always thankful to have them. Email us at EKSB at AscensionPress.com if you have a question, a concern, a thing that you want to tackle or attack here in this crazy time of COVID or just an evangelization in general. If you're lay people and volunteers, we want to hear from you and how you're using the content produce on this show for your own life and your own ministry. This is very powerful stuff. When we come back, Dave is going to give us two bonuses, one on relationships and another one on marketing strategy so that we can continue uh, growing this new role in the parish. What if this year your Advent could be different? What if you could learn how to welcome Jesus into your heart from the people who did it first? This year, Ascension's Rejoice Advent Journal invites you to experience Advent with Joseph and Mary as they await the birth of their son Jesus, the Savior of the world. Together with the guided meditations found on rejoiceprogram.com, this journal will help you to see the marriage of Mary and Joseph in a new light. You will ponder what was in their hearts and minds as they awaited the birth of Jesus. Rejoice will help you open your heart to the peace and the joy of the Holy Family as you prepare for the coming of Jesus this Christmas. Visit RejoiceProgram.com to purchase your copy today. And we're back, and Dave is going to give us two quick bonuses. Dave, uh, why don't you tell the good people what they are? Here are two things I forgot about, and then, you know, we can Ooh. see. Yeah. Is this still under, like, programs and ideas? Not, not really. No, I'm going back a little bit to interpersonal and then something new. Okay. okay. The first one is this. Uh, interpersonally, like, there are going to be bad days at your parish. Okay? There are going to be bad days. Find You need to have someone probably who's not in the middle of the parish community that you can talk to about this stuff. Now, if it's your pastor, that's awesome. Like that's, I had that, you know, I had a pastor where, you know, he, he was above, you know, kind of the fray and I could talk to him about, you know, what I needed to and, and trust in the confidence, you know, and everything. And, uh, he, he it was great. But if you don't have that, you need someone who you need who you're going to want to talk to about this stuff. It could be a DRE from another parish, could be people that you remember from school, right? Could be a community that you have outside the parish. My point is, like, you, you don't want to air, you know, dirty laundry to stakeholders. So find somebody that you can talk to about issues and things like that. Who, because you're going to have bad days. There's no question. There are going to be bad days. Mm. The second thing. 
and and this is more for parishes that are not like Gomer's, right? That are basically like Fortune 500 companies. Okay, Go, <laughs> Go, Gomer's Parish right has a marketing or a communications person. Like they actually have someone who does team. this team, team, right? team, <laughs> <laughs> and it rivals Disney. Um, the 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 what I would say is for the most part parishes don't have all that many resources in that area. So come up with what your marketing strategy is, right? And 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 this could literally be something as small as a list, a bullet a bullet point list, right? It could be bulletin, Facebook, email blast, this group, this group, this group, flyers, blah blah blah. Just for what you're trying to do at the parish, because remember, you know, in the end, like you could have the greatest content on earth, but if people aren't there, it doesn't benefit them at all. So find out, make a plan right off the bat of how you're going to reach people at this parish um, uh, for different events, different outreaches, things like that. Because, you know, I, I learned that probably six months in and I think I would have done better to learn it like right off the bat, you know. Yeah, and uh, coming alongside that, like our communications team, I, I somewhat joke it's a team. I mean, it is a team. We have the guy who is communications and accounting. We have my my uh, employee who is communications and adult sacraments, right? And then we have a woman who's a contractor that manages the database and the website. So um, it, it is funny because it's not like, every, you know, this one person. And we have a creative technician right. whose whole job is that stuff. Okay, well played. Uh now, I do want to say understanding marketing strategy is so important, even just on a basic level, because if you don't marketing is is built around this understanding that you have to communicate to the people in the mode of the hearer. And I'll tell you 10 times out of 10, when there's communications breakdown, you are writing from your perspective, what you want to hear. Right. And so, so much gets lost, especially when you're in the world of social media, when you're trying to communicate to people effectively, but you end up, you know, you use insider terms, you presume too much knowledge, you don't know what groups are out there that you can market to. And so it ends up falling flat. And so you have to do, uh, you have to be strategic and understand how these things really do affect the mission of the local parish. Or, and this also applies to people running nonprofits and all that stuff. Yeah. Generally, there's more money in nonprofits and you can hire people with, you know, who are dedicated, who went to college for communications and all that stuff. So it's often less of an issue there. But like, just think about this idea of like email marketing in terms of you're not trying to generate dollars, you're trying to get out information. Right. That's a totally different thing than trying to raise money and, and sell products. You're trying to get out. Hey, we're going to have this talk. We're going to do this event. We're going to have this adoration hour. We're going to do the special mass. Um, you have to build a consistent. Uh, we, what we do is the weekly email from the desk of Father Tom. Yeah. And it is crafted and it is simple and we are zealous for what appears on it. And we argue and debate over what appears on that thing because this is going to the whole parish. And that can be an incredibly powerful tool, but also can be a huge waste of people's time. Yep. So, like, that's what we're talking about marketing. Try to white space matters, not putting everything on there, making things simple as you possibly can, bolding headings, you know, using lists, helping people understand what you're trying to communicate. Yeah. 
Well, this has been another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow. We're so happy that you join us each week, and we appreciate you listening. And we most, we really appreciate you writing in and letting us know uh, how things are going out there. Um, it's just, it's so heartening for us to to hear the stories of people evangelizing and reaching out for the first time. So please, all as always, email us eksb at ascensionpress.com. and we will hopefully see you next week. This is Dave. See you later. God bless. All right. This is Gomer. Adios, my good friends. 